0: Thank you so much for coming on the show, and um, I'm going to let you do your intro on your background, but sure. uh, I know I I definitely get, uh, I feel like I've leveled up after every time uh, we, we speak, so um, for the listeners that don't know, you maybe give a you know brief intro to yourself.
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, Nate Fender, co-founder and COO at REO. Uh We've been around for about three and a half years, and we have a software platform uh, that helps capture and share expert knowledge, uh, specifically for manufacturing, energy, utilities, and also starting to work in the defense area a bit. Uh, and we use augmented reality as part of that so that people can capture and share that information spatially. So imagine uh, walking up to a specific piece of equipment and leaving a virtual sticky note essentially on that piece of equipment then, that then connects to workflows, processes, procedures, sensor data, maybe 3D models, Anything that a person needs to know, having it being placed at the right place at the right time is really a contextual value add that is seems to be very much missing uh, in these areas of business. and it's, it's something we're helping bring into the workspace at the same time when uh, in energy and utilities, 30% of the workforce is eligible for retirement over the next several years. And in manufacturing, there's a forecast uh, to be a shortage of workers between 3 to 5 million uh, between now and, I think, 2025. So we're not only finding these companies at a time where that's critical, but also at a time where they're, all, they're, going, they're undergoing the change, uh, uh, the digital transformation process, essentially, moving sometimes from paper to whatever's next. So we're we're meeting them at that that spot in their journey, and and our hope is to help people do more things better, and uh, not use technology as a as a divider, uh, which is what I'm really passionate about. I think it's really exciting to see it enable people to do more things. Love that.
0: And speaking of that passion, I'm going to take you back because now, okay. okay, now you're you know you're flying you're flying high, and uh, you know you've got a lot of success. What was like your first memory, maybe with? Just the
1: internet. Cause, mm, with you know. the internet, I I think I was in fourth grade, and my dad bought an IBM. I'm trying to remember what the model was. I don't remember, <laughs> but I I remember we we got an IBM computer and we we got AOL like everybody else <laughs> because it probably came out of one of those big bins in Walmart you know where they gave you a free hundred hours you know and i i want to say my earliest memory i was i was really into hockey at this point in time in my life one of my earliest memories was learning how to be in a chat room you know with other you know probably adults at that point strangers talking about hockey and, and things like that and then um as things evolved kind of moving towards AOL instant messenger and making random other friends that we thought were children <laughs> on the internet um, and and uh, yeah and it was it's really weird to think about now because like i had i had friends that were just screen names i didn't know anything about them mm-hmm. you know i knew they were like oh i'm from canada i play hockey and you know this you know asl wild. age sex location like that's you know and at that point in time it was so that territory was so uncharted. And I think that, you know, I, I, I think about being a parent now and what my parents must've been scratching their head over. Like, yeah. what in the world is all this, you know, how does this work? And so I think that my, my hours of connectivity were very tightly regulated because, uh, we needed to be able to use our phone too. Yep. <laughs> As you know, if someone picked up the phone and kick everyone offline. That's right. So it'd be scheduled. Uh, so I, those these are some of my earliest memories and, um, yeah, things have changed a lot since then. What did you, what did you study in college?
0: What mm. was your uh, major?
1: I changed my major five times.
0: Five times? <laughs> yeah. Legit five times. Yeah. All right.
1: Let me see if I can try it. So I came in as an information science major, and then I switched to communications. And then I switched from communications to music. And then I went from music to an interdisciplinary studies major because I wanted to be I realized that I, I was in a really serious band in college that carried through after college and I was like well the music business is where I want to be so I went through a process and like yeah. created a degree basically across business and music courses and got all that approved and then started doing that and I was like this is I'm not so sure about mm. this method of putting this degree together so then I switched back to communications so that was the fifth, fifth one there I landed on that Um, graduated a semester late, obviously, because that will set you back when you do all that. (laughs) Makes sense. And then ended up uh, getting my master's in international relations, uh, thinking, oh, I'm going to work for a big NGO, and that's the path I'll go. And Well, here here we are. We're nowhere near that. That's, I don't know. That's life, right?
0: That's how it works.
1: (coughs) Bless you. Uh, Thank you. Sorry.
0: you, you did the uh the masters did you work in between there or did you kind of come out get some experience and then go back? How did that So work? I
1: graduated from college in December of 2007 and I went directly into working on my masters in international communications. Uh and it was the first part of it was part of a, a program where uh we traveled to different uh countries and met with large international organizations and studied their business structures. And I was supposed to finish it, uh, it was through Macquarie University in Sydney, Australia. And I was supposed to finish it there in Australia. And as you know, the recession hit like while I was doing this. And for, I want to say it was half a year or a year, They, if I'm remembering correctly, what, what happened was the federal loans from the U.S. stopped being accepted. It was kind of like frozen because mm-hmm. of all this. So I wasn't able to go there and finish. So I basically was left with half of a master's degree. Mm. And then I had to find a job because I was like, well, I haven't finished and I, you know, got to pay for life. Uh, And I found the only thing I could get at the time was, uh, one, I had a really hard time finding a job. Two, I was like, okay, well, What can I find that would be consistent? And I found AmeriCorps, which is like Peace Corps, but it's here in the states. And I think I had a stipend, or I don't know what it's called, uh, of like eight hundred dollars a month. And so I worked. I did a contract with AmeriCorps, um, and kind of started getting into the nonprofit area. And I thought that was really great. And I, I, I was all about the cause. And so I did. I worked in nonprofits for a handful of years thereafter. I ended up going – I transferred some of my graduate credits into Macquarie's International Relations Program because I could finish that remotely. I didn't have to didn't uproot have to to at this point. And, uh, I was already uprooted when I was going to go. But once you set your roots back down, you you, know, you work and you get friends and like you have a lease and things change. Uh, so then I transferred some of those credits into the International Relations Program, which I, I had come to find out. I was like, oh, a Master's in International Relations is very applicable. If I want to go certain directions with it, that will really be helpful. Um, so I transferred some of those credits. I went to the Old Dominion Library, Old Dominion University Library, I, and I, knowing they had a great international relations program, and I, with that, I knew they probably had really great books for, those, for that type of program in the library. And I found out there was like a limit on how many books I could check out, like as a as someone that doesn't go to university, I was like, well, how can I check out books from this library if I don't want to be in the library all the time? It turns out, if you donate a certain amount of money, (laughs) you can become what's called, I think at the time, a friend of the library. And then Uh, you can check out up to, I think it was 15 books at a time because you donated to the library. So I donated, not, I mean, obviously at this point, I don't have a lot of money, but it was whatever the lowest threshold was to be able to donate to the library to become a friend of the library. And then I used the Old Dominion University's international relations library for all of like my my books that I do research with and I would either work there for another university or I would check out fifteen my max amount of books and I'd take them home with me and we turned our my now wife and I we turned our bedroom closet into my office in this one bedroom apartment we had and it was distraction free. It got a little warm. <laughs> There's no <laughs> ventilation but I needed like complete solitude and I was I think I did four graduate classes at a time on top of full-time work for a couple of semesters to like finish it all because I just wanted to get it. I wanted to be done with that part of my life and uh, I was able to do that. Um, I was working at Operation Smile at the time and then after that I I started working uh, for a YouTube celebrity and that's where things moved from nonprofit to like more of a a commercial creative environment, and then I started working at agencies after that. we guys talk about the YouTube yeah, yeah so
0: talk about how did that come about <laughs> and kind of how did you what, what did you learn from sure that?
1: so after after going the international relations route and being a non nonprofit uh, i I found that so i worked I worked at uh, a nonprofit in Newport News Virginia called soundscapes It's an after school music program um, it was super rewarding and it's uh, it's structured so that um, you bring more classical style instruments into an after school program for at risk youth, and you you build orchestras uh, with children, and it gives it provides a structured, uh, constructive time after school when those are the, some of the high at risk hours of the day where some children would go home. Maybe they have parents there, maybe they don't, and gives them something to do that is really productive and and really enrich their lives in a multitude of ways. We did that for a few years. Moved over to Operation Smile, uh, really loved the cause, uh, and after being there for a while, I realized that the type of work culture that was for me probably sat in more of a creative capacity. Not that I'm a creative, but I like being around creative. want to be around the energy. I want to be around that type of energy, and uh, so I left there and my, my wife found, <laughs> this sounds ridiculous, she found a Craigslist ad that was vaguely written (laughs) that said and at this point, I was like, okay, what am I roughly qualified to do? Probably some sort of marketing, something marketing assistant, you know, some, whatever, whatever the entry level marketing situation is. And it was someone that was looking for a marketing assistant and it said, you'll work with, you know, a large YouTube channel and uh, you'll be able to get insight into what that, what it is like to have a YouTube channel that's a business. And I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. She's like, yeah, it could be totally a scam, like most <laughs> things are. But maybe it doesn't hurt to like check it out. And so I, I, their email address was exposed. It wasn't like the Craigslist, at Craigslist, whatever, you know, hidden email address. So I took the email address and I did some internet sleuthing. And I found their account on Twitter that was associated with this email address. And then I went back through their tweet history to see... Who are they tweeting back and forth at? Who's having a conversation with them? And I identified the YouTube celebrity. And at this time, they were the 10th largest channel in the world. Um, they are called FPS Russia. Um, the shtick is the guy has a Russian accent. He shoots big guns, blows things up at, you know, on a farm or wherever. And um, so anyways, I like, tweeted at his business manager, whom I didn't know at the time like what the interplay was. It's like, hey, I- I responded to your ad on on Craigslist (laughs) and I sent you my resume uh, and they tweeted back to me, went, pulled out my resume, we did a Skype interview and then five days later I was on a one-way ticket on a plane to Los Angeles and then for the next year I traveled around the United States um, working with with that YouTube channel and I got to learn a lot about big brand integration with YouTube videos and how to structure those types of videos, how to Help with those types of business relationships. It was very interesting, and it, it opened up to me like, oh, I I can develop a skill set maybe around something that is in a, you know more creative capacity. So when I finished there, I I did a, about a year of that, and then uh, then I started looking more in Norfolk because this job was was only local, and that his business partner lived in the area briefly, and then they moved, and then I was working remote and flying, and that it just it's a lot. <laughs> So I started looking, you know, in this area of where, where can I work? And, uh, a friend of mine, uh, Noel, whom you might know, uh, he was like, Hey, I, do you want to go take a tour of grow, which is this agency here that does world class work? Um, and I was, I didn't really know much about this agency and I was like, yeah, okay, let's go take a tour. That sounds (laughs) fun. And he was like, I'll meet you. You know, I talked to someone that worked there at the time. Uh, we had this time. So morning of, I go to like get a tour of, of, I guess just a tour of the office. I didn't really know why I was going at this point. I was like, yeah, sounds like cool. Let's go check it out. I was, I'm, I'm, in. I was, I'm <laughs> in, whatever. Sure. Let's do it. So he goes, oh, I'm sick. He texts me, but you should still go. I go, okay. So I went, I show up and the person's like, so who are you and why are you here? And I was like, well, I, I don't really know. And so they gave me a tour. They were really nice about it. And we started talking and they're like, So, what do, you, what do you do? And I was like, Well, I've been doing this and now I'm kind of working, looking for my next situation. And uh, they, long story short, ended up getting a contract with them and worked there for what was going to be a month, turned into three months, and, and really got to know everybody over there. And, I, and it was a project, it was a junior freelance interactive producer position. To me, I'd never done that. It was, you know, I was basically project managing and helping with that. Uh, wasn't the lead project manager, but it, it gave me the ability to learn a lot from what that process meant.
0: What did you learn?
1: Whoops. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, one, I was exposed to such a high standard of work mm-hmm. that I had never seen anywhere. I was complete imposter syndrome, rightfully so, because I was not. I didn't think I was qualified to even be in the room.
0: And when we say huh. work, we're saying production of creative output. like Design. Apps.
1: Yeah, yeah. So the project I was working on was with... Google and Volkswagen, Mm -hmm. and it was an Android mobile app, and there was a a web component to it. And I want to say there was twelve people on the team that was working on this, or so. And then there was, you know, uh, additional resources that would be pulled in as needed. What I learned was that one, I, I felt like every time, well, I what I observed was what I at the time thought was and and have come to know is best practice like what it meant to do the right thing Mm -hmm. you know from beginning to end or you know and, and no corners being cut every time someone said they were going to take an action they would you could trust it would happen and it would be done with such high integrity and thoughtfulness that there's no thinking oh i wonder how that'll be like no like it it was just, at such a high level. Like I'd never been in a working environment where literally that's the culture from everyone. And it really like motivates you to really level up whatever it is you're doing to go, well, wow, I haven't, I should probably approach whatever I do in this way because clearly it's working, (laughs) (laughs) you know, to be, to be in Norfolk at at this point in time, which is 2013 and to, to have built and realized you know, an agency that is operating at such a high level People should take note and say, well, how does that happen? And, and I think there's something going on inside there that's magic that really, the magic is hard work. Yep. And, and doing things to the best of your ability the right way and not and cutting talent. corners. And talent. And, and creating culture that attracts talent, retains talent, and, and breeds talent. Uh, and so... I'll come back to that sentiment as we talk maybe about like where our company is now, but that was to me and it still is. I kind of, I, I, refer it, I don't know how they'd feel about me since, but I refer to it as like, I call it the gold standard mm-hmm. in my life so far, what I've observed in all these different work place, workplaces. I always go back to that. That's what I want to aim for. Yeah. Culturally work ethic wise, trust, you know, all this thing, how they contribute to the community, how they interplay with what Hampton Roads or Seven Five Seven or whatever we're whatever we're calling it now uh, is, I think they're a pretty good example of what a lot of people should aim for in their own way. Obviously, you know, emulation is maybe the basis of where you start, but you're your own entity. So, anyways, worked there, I worked at ForRent.com for a little while after that, because I was only there for at Grow for a contract. Then I worked at Sway for a little while. Then I worked remotely for a marketing agency in Florida. What did you do at Sway? As a producer for a little while. And then worked as a a marketing project manager for an agency in Florida for about a year. And then I worked at uh, Cineva for a year and a half, year and seven months. Project? I was director of business development okay. so that's when i started learning how to like sell sell more and then i was also we we lost a project manager but i became the de facto project manager for all the projects so i was in both and <clears throat> i learned from previous experiences some best practices that quote unquote to to bring into that environment like time tracking and getting a better understanding of where your resources are being allocated for when you build proposals and making sure everything is profitable and like trying to help with those practices because at this point i would learned a few things that I noticed weren't, weren't in place and t- I try to help in those ways um, and I think since then the business has been sold and it's under new ownership and I have no idea what's going on over there now I, uh, because the people I worked with are, have moved on and, and the agency environment a lot of people move around yep. you know you see that a lot and it, I've, I've realized that if you look at an agency like Grow and people aren't moving around a lot so they must really like they're not bored yeah and I, you know, and I think that the agency and the culture, at least from my experience, is people like the change of like these are the types of projects we do at this agency. Or, these are the type of projects we do here, and like,
0: gotta scratch that
1: creative. Yeah, business. yeah, exactly. And you fulfill that, and you go, well, I'm ready for a different kind of change. What's that look like? And so that's somewhat thematic, at least from what I've observed, and maybe that's changing. But uh, so I, I guess what leads us to where we are now mm-hmm. is I was at son of a, a friend of mine, Joe Weaver that I went to college with, uh, worked at Huntington Ingalls, the shipbuilder for about 14 years. And we kept in touch through, you know, after college, we were roommates for a little while and he was using technology like augmented reality and virtual reality and doing a lot of testing with it. To, he or, was technical. Yeah. Yeah. Very technical. Very early on. And, the infancy of like those being technologies you could probably use like usable, not just it's a proof of concept. Maybe someday it'll work like actually being usable. And he was seeing that it it made a lot of sense. And, uh, I think he was looking for a change and I was looking for a change in that when you're in the agency environment, you, you build things and they typically have some sort of expiration date to them, either, because it's part of a marketing campaign or advertising campaign, and it it's supposed to expire, or you help realize something for a client and you pass it off to them, and then slowly over time it degrades because the client doesn't know how to manage it in the way that you would. Yeah, it's just kind of the natural weathering of of a plant that you 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 build and groom, and then the, slowly the plant dies when someone's not watering it enough. It's kind of how it feels when something goes out into the world. And it, and that's that's to be expected, I think. And um, I was tired. I was tired of that because yeah. a lot of work goes on something. And you're like, oh, it's dying. You know, either <laughs> either you know. But and, and the reality is, it might have died under your care too. But you don't know. Um, but I was really interested in building something that could be iterated on and made stronger over time, and ha- could evolve, and was under our under my care to some degree and working with the team to do that. So I was really interested in building a product. And I didn't know what that was like, I'd never done it. Um, Joe didn't know what that was like, he'd never done it. (laughs) But we were both really intrigued by this technology augmented reality. And so he left, and I left, and we uh, were lucky to uh, find an early partner with a government contractor in the region that had uh, work for us for about a year. And we assembled like a little, tiger team around that, did that contract, and then after a year of doing augmented reality and virtual reality work and, and like really thinking about it gave, us, it gave us time to think about what we wanted to build, hadn't done anything yet so then we finished that contract and then we embarked on our own, so that was two and a half years ago, so we had been a company for a year on paper, but we hadn't really done much um, so then we, we embarked out on our own and we, had, we built a small team around it, so we were a team of five and the first piece of work was for for a company that wanted to do marketing using augmented reality we still at this point didn't have product to sell we were starting to build it but it wasn't even at an mvp stage it couldn't couldn't bring anyone value um so we you know a couple members of our team would do the marketing business and that would feed everyone so that we could build our early stage product um and then we'd pick another piece of marketing work and that would feed the whole group and then that was kind of how we were, chugging along to stay above water yeah exactly and um and there were some early friends and family investors that helped early on that like i mean the amount of investment helped administratively get things going right it wasn't like a ton of runway it was it was enough to formalize a business do the registered trademarks you know get the website up you know basic things it was enough to be a business yeah um so we we did that, uh, and then we got – I should note that one of the biggest lessons we learned was that for – and this is our philosophical belief, and I think you'll find this in any other technological example over time, is that one, uh, some of the most scalable products are not um, – it's not you as a company creating the content. It's either – content or data aggregation or it's a tool set that other people use to create content and two it has to just work when you pick it up and use it and three you have to remove your developers from the from the equation so it can't be a custom one-off back and forth the development shop every time you need a change that does not scale to like
0: a network effect of sorts.
1: Yeah, and in thinking through the lens of okay, if we were to build something with this technology, we've already proven like we'd already done pilots and things through Joe's experience and then early with the government contractor and on our own that this technology can be helpful. None of those were were applications that were scalable. They were one-offs like here's an application that helps you visualize minimum approach distances and a de-energized substation for an electric utility. Great. Visualize it all. It's really helpful, but that's all the application does. That's it. And if you want to change it, it's got to go back to the shop. The developers, designers have to touch it. It's a a lot of expense on their part. It's a lot of time on our part. That's not scalable. But aside from all that, it demonstrates value. So how do we get to that value without all those other factors? So I said, well, let's build a platform that makes it easy for anyone to use this technology to get that value out of it without us in the loop. And then let's build it in a fashion where it is software as a service that can be subscribed to. And then we can focus on iterating on that product over and over and over. And every time we iterate on it, it improves the value for everybody. Through getting feedback from customers, through using data that we collect to understand ways people are using it to make it better for them so that we don't need to be the domain experts in any of the verticals we sell into. We need to understand how they will use it for their expertise to get the most value out of it. So talk to them a lot, interview them a lot, get direct feedback, say, it, this is the way it currently works, but in a perfect world, what would a solution look like to you? And then understand where that lines up with your product roadmap, allow that to influence your product roadmap and continue iterating on it over time with those stakeholders in mind, which is really fun because then you get to focus on your product and you get to learn a lot about these different industries and learn more about use cases that maybe you didn't know about early on or or where you could take it. And then you get to evangelize like what you're doing with the product and, and, Everyone's learning from each other in that at, at that moment. You're learning from them, and they're learning from you, and it feels much more like a partnership because there are issues they're facing in these verticals that we are helping with, and they're excited to use a new technology. And uh, you know, in, in a perfect world, every customer is like that. You know, and so, and and I think I think a big part of it is also that it's helping people. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not there to take people's jobs. That'll happen on its own. Yeah. <laughs> and really, we're, we're trying to help people that still have their jobs and, and uh, people that are, that are given more responsibility than they used to have because there are fewer people. And that's a pressure that I think no one wants to have. And so having a tool that can help you alleviate that pressure by having access to validated processes and procedures can help you build confidence in your position it, it's less likely that maybe you make a mistake or you make guesswork or you're embarrassed to ask questions because you're maybe newer and you're like, well, if I go ask, I ask too many times, they're going to think I don't know what I'm doing, but really I just want to be sure. If you have a tool that, like, helps explain all that, and it's like having an expert on your shoulder, you know, going around with you, uh, you can feel a little bit better about using it. And then if you ask a question, it it hopefully is because, like, you know you want to be really sure, and it 's okay and there 's a, there's a way to make video calls inside of the application and get expert uh, eyes on on your situation. and They can place indicators into the field of view and um, the goal is to just create a positive feedback cycle and so that's that's what we 're chasing in my, in my where we 're at now at the company we're, we'll be fifteen people by probably about March, and everything about our company from my perspective has been influenced by all of those previous experiences. Yeah, I was tying all that together them. in my mind. I'm like,
0: all of them. I, I knew a little bit about your background, but I didn't yeah. really realize the extent to like the experiences. But as you kind of articulate those experiences, yeah. I can see where, oh, well, that makes it and, and that's in yeah. hindsight, right? Like, that's twenty twenty vision. Oh, but when you're living there you like, where am day. I
1: going? Yep. It, it felt like, to me, I felt like I was in a car and my, hand, my hands are on the wheel. But, like, if you ever hit a bump in the road and, like, the car moves to the left or the right, even though your hand's on the wheel and you're, you're steering it but not really in that moment. Like, I felt like I was doing that for a while. But even if you but, think but about, it was always moving forward.
0: I you apologize. Know? And even, even when you think about the international relations... Well, you guys are out of the country. Doing oh yeah. The shows. And yeah. You're dealing with multinational organizations. Yes. And that's, that's a good experience to have to just that whole mindset, even, even the, the Australia thing, like just the, you know, the forces that are at play economically. Yes. That can impact either business or, and so on and so forth. Um, I, I wanted to ask you, I want to ask you a bunch of stuff. Um, and I know you've got to get back to it, so I'm not going to sure. ask you too much. But uh, maybe just talk about like, um, so you're at 15 ish, going into 15 mm-hmm. people. Um, this kind of more of a philosophy question, I guess. Sure. And and we probably hit on it a bit. When you're you know a small team and you're starting out and it's just you guys and you know you're you're doing the marketing projects type of stuff yeah. and that's kind of you know the thing that you're you're, you're sourcing to where you are now how does that change or, or do you come to the projects you have now with that same kind of like i don't want to say hunger but like you kind of come with that same mentality maybe around you know i'm i'm building something the product is the most important thing i'm customer centric that's the most important thing how does your mindset i guess shift because there's always that uh you know that dilemma if you will with kind of like success and bigger clients of Okay. Well, I've got more now, so I've got more responsibility. How do you think about? It? Do you still think about it like, you know, you're kind of like, you know, you're you're doing like something for, you know, like the government contract type sure. thing to start, or do you kind of, do you switch a gear and now you're kind of like, you're in a different space, so you can so, do things different.
1: So I think that, uh, what, what I'm finding is that even though we're Product-centric and you know customer-centric with the product. Every time you interact with the new prospect that becomes a customer, it feels like a new project. In that, their thoughts and ideas and um, potentially their their ramping up into using it feels kind of like like you would manage a project. In that, the way that you manage the relationship is very similar. You have to have kind of like this battle rhythm of responsiveness that really helps you gauge where things are headed um and typically with not typically i would say like 100 percent of the time thus far when you're selling an enterprise they're not going to just procure a software and just roll it out without testing it and validating it and making sure that it it really meets their needs and returns value and so the first part of that process is Some refer to it as a POC or proof of concept. Some refer to it as a pilot or a trial or evaluation or whatever you want to call it. There's this period of time where they'll invest a certain amount of money into paying to deploy our software in an environment uh, for anywhere from 30 to all the way up to 120 days. And that in and of itself is a project. They're, They're paying for access to our to our software for evaluation purposes, but there's interplay between us and, and the customer of, well, how do you define success in your business as you, as we're applying the software to it? I mean, we have an idea because we know, we know who we're selling to, but to hear it every time, there's nuanced differences. And so we work together with them to stand up our software, stand up as in access it from the cloud, or there's no, like, we're not installing it, right? Uh, but and, and educating them on best practices of, of our software. And it gives us direct insight into their problem statements in, in a more nuanced way and understanding use cases. Um, and, then it, and then it goes from that, that initial time period to all the way up to maybe 120 days where the whole idea is that you, both parties are working towards successful outcome. Because on the other side of it, if there is a successful outcome and you measure the you know, you measure an impact that your your platform's having on their business. The other side of it is the consideration of a large procurement, where you'd go, okay, well, we did this in a, a limited capacity for a set number of days, but we extrapolate that into X number of locations in our business. Now the value proposition is significant in comparison to the small little sample size. And so while we're, we're product-centric and customer-focused, that in and of itself feels like a project. Because it is, mm-hmm. you know, it's just that it's so focused on using the product for their unique circumstance that the lessons you can learn from it and, and when you go to another customer, there are some things that will be similar and some things that will be completely different. But the common thread is that it's your platform helping them resolve the issue that they face. So I would say that on our team, uh, our, the members of our team have worked at different, either agencies, or you know Homes dot com or forrent.com dot com or Anthem or they've worked for BAE or there's or someone's from Microsoft or another startup and so like our team has seen kind of a myriad of different businesses that I think impact their perception and understanding of also how to handle this this scenario where uh, no no one else on our team has had a startup or. Yeah, well, people have been parts of startups, but never co-founded a startup. So I think that everyone right now knows they're, like, on the bottom floor. We're all on the bottom floor together, you know, trying to put bricks on top of one another to build a nice staircase for each other. And uh, I think we're all, like, lending our background to that effort in the best way we know how and and trying to learn about it as we go. Love that. Um, So.
0: So you've had a lot of amazing headlines and uh, awards I'm, I'm losing track of all of them um, but congratulations on the Verizon announcement um, million dollars. Um, what are you kind of like right now? what are you most excited about? I know you've got you know lots of different opportunities you probably have you know it's like a laser focus on you know maybe yep you know, one or two things at a time, but um, what, what are you excited about for uh, the new year?
1: So I'm really, I'm really excited about, you know, when you, one, when you raise a seed round, two, when you are fortunate enough to get an award like this, where they, there's a, a capital <laughs> injection component, and allows you to start to exercise some of your, your roadmap a little bit earlier than, than you thought. Um, so I'm excited about that. And what that means for us is we've been very technical, technically heavy on our team. I mean, 95% of it is, is technical, like software development design focused. Um, and a very small percentage of that has been business development and, and pipeline development prospects and, and things like that. But what we're doing now is, is we're rounding that out with, we're hiring a marketing director. We're bringing in a sales executive, um, I will be assisting in product marketing because I have an understanding of that and I've been holding the sales process for our company and the business developments. Now we're gonna round out that part of our wheel Where when you think about a wheel rolling down the road and if you pull out a section of it's kind of a lumpy roll, it still rolls, not pretty, but it still can maintain forward momentum. We've been doing that, understanding that when we got to a particular point, we could round it out and then the wheel starts to roll smoother And maybe a little bit faster and and we're getting to the point now where you know we we also have someone on our team that's a marketing copywriter we don't contract it we decided to bring that into our team because having worked at agencies I was like I can contract this or freelance freelance it out or we can have someone that's part of our team that helps build a culture that knows everybody that that hears everything about what our business is doing really is integrated and aligned incentives yeah it, exactly and my hope is that the outcome of that what's produced in that area of business will be better and higher quality than if we were just budgeting and piecemealing it out every time to someone that can, kind of gets it but really is just more about output hmm i 'm just much more interested personally and in, in, in our company is much more interested in that that being rooted in our business, so someone might be like, "Oh, at this stage, why would you have a marketing copywriter at your software company this early?" because someone has to tell a story i mean half of half of what we 're doing is is helping build a new story for companies that we sell to because they 're evolving, and if they 're trying to figure out what their story is, we can help and and we need someone in our company that tells the story really well um, and, and helps us with our voice uh, and, and can adequately capture the voice of our customers in, in the market and have that discussion. So they're our storyteller. And so we've, we have someone on our team that does that. We're hiring a marketing director. Um, we also are hiring a sales executive. So, th- So those three pieces, you know, combined with me and and our art director and our creative director really means we have a sales enablement piece of our business that we didn't before Uh, we did it was just lean it was one person two people you know uh, that were wearing a multitude of hats now we can we can I know you
0: have some friends that uh, you know probably are in startups or have started companies do you go to them for uh, any ideas or just like general mentorship or like how do you think about like the mentoring process yeah
1: so I (coughs) there yeah sorry about that excuse me there I have friends that live in other markets some that have startups some that are technologists and then also a, a few friends in this market that I kind of reach out to and say hey this is you know, one, like old friends, you wanna reconnect, you hear what they're up to and you share, you share your stories and say this is what we're up to. What do you think about this? What do you from your removed perspective, what do I need to know? You know, uh, one of my good friends, um he's actually married to a good friend of my wife and, and we've become really, you know, better friends over the last several years. They live in San Francisco. He has a startup. Uh and every time I go out there I I try to reach out. Sometimes we get together, and sometimes we don't. Last time I was there, we were able to, and they're moving into a series B. You know, so I look at their company. and I go, what do I you know need to be aware of as we move forward? You know, and he's been a really great resource of at least you know through his lens of what they're experiencing and things that uh, that we should be aware of. And obviously, whenever you get advice and opinions it's always going to be through whatever glasses they're wearing and i think that's another thing that we've come to learn is that really early on you you identify anyone you respect and if they give you advice you're like oh that we should take it you know and because you want you want to believe whatever you're being told is the best thing for you and and it genuinely might be thought of that when they're giving it to you but i've come to realize that sometimes it's also it, being very careful with it is also as valuable as taking it (laughs) because it can really take you in the wrong direction not on purpose just because like when you have a 15 or 30 minute conversation with someone it's 15 or 30 minutes how much should that really change the whole trajectory of what you're doing so I think it's it's trying to discern between the things that you you're hearing and and trying to understand where they sit and should affect your business and that's that can be really hard
0: yeah no that makes sense it's kind of like it can be really hard I mean there's a dilemma uh, of it being like almost a past tense advice or like something that happened like five years ago or ten yeah. years ago even sometimes can just not be relevant today
1: right um, where can the listeners follow you where can they connect with you um, I'm on Twitter um, what is my handle I, I'm on it and, and I say what is my handle because I don't tweet much but I read a lot mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm a I'm a long time lurker yeah uh, Fender thinks is there, my, there my handle is. and I'm on Twitter all, all the time every day I tweet and read, I, I like and retweet a lot of things I don't say a lot mainly because I don't really know what am I to, what am I saying what do I I don't have I don't have much to say it's like a water cooler you know it's <laughs> like
0: you just jump in and jump in conversations here and there
1: but I will I use Twitter uh, for competitive research because I find that a lot of times you can identify individuals and in other companies that are oversharers and when you're a technologist you want to be able to share what you're building and some and sometimes uh, you can get tipped off to what is going on in the competitive landscape by individuals that love social media. And I, and I use it that way because I want to understand what the landscape looks like. I also want to understand our customers better, so I try to find them on social media and follow them. So I'm a long-time lurker. <laughs> <laughs> hey, whatever works. I'm starting to say a little bit more, but I, I don't, maybe that'll change.
0: <laughs> no, this has been great. Thank you so much for doing this. Thanks, today.
1: Hamilton. I appreciate it.